Good morning, Lakeview. Morning, welcome those of you who are watching through live stream. Thank you. Someone's awake. Go ahead and open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. If you're new to the Christian faith, if you're new to the Bible, this will be the easiest passage ever to find. It's the first few pages in your Bible. Uh, If you have a digital Bible, it may be actually a little hard to find if you can find your app somewhere on your phone. But go ahead and turn that on. And uh, speaking of of the iPhone, um, it is it's just amazing how much this device and technology and things like iPhones and iPads have revolutionized our life and changed the way we interact with one another, interact with content. Um, Just just go walk about, receive information, share information. Uh, these things are a digital revolution. They've fundamentally altered how we live lives. And, and you guys may know that the guy behind a lot of the, this um, innovation uh, was a man by the name of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was kind of the head honcho of Apple for a number of years before he passed away. And uh, uh, the, 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 there was a, a design philosophy that featured um, three elements, simplicity, ease of use, and elegance. So when you placed an Apple product, a computer versus another brand of computer, uh, you would notice differences in design, in aesthetics, in in simplicity. This phone is so simple that my two-year-old who just left the the, the building can actually open my camera app on my phone. My two-year-old will grab my phone, open it up, and go to the camera app and start taking pictures. So Steve Jobs revolutionized this device by, by the design uh, that he, he put in it. And it's interesting that these devices were actually not innovations at all. Uh, things like handheld computers, PDAs, and, and laptops and screens, uh, there was a long history of these devices existing and being used in a number of different settings. But, but Steve had a vision to design something, and he spent a lot of time uh, focusing on the design elements. And it was that design that led for renewed purpose in these devices, re- renewed acceptance among society. So um, design matters, in other words. Uh, and th- this morning, we're continuing a sermon series that we're titling The Great Pause. This is the fourth sermon in this series. Our last one will be next week. And, and this morning, we're, we're going to spend some time with the story of creation. We're going to look at these first two chapters of the book of Genesis, specifically looking at that idea that God has designed creation to follow certain parameters. He's done certain things, the Bible informs us, in how he went about creating what we know as the material world. But the design elements that he installed, not just in creation as a whole, but in humanity. God has designed humanity to both function in a certain way and to flourish through certain means. Let's go ahead and pray together and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you provide. Lord, we need all three this morning, Father. Would you speak to us through your word, O Lord? Would you be with us and help us understand Lord, and when you feed our souls with what we need for the days and weeks ahead. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So open your Bible if you haven't already to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read these two verses together. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the face of the waters. Let me turn my timer on on my phone so I know when to let you guys out. I don't see the one in the back working. You'll thank me for this uh, 30 minutes into the sermon. So you open up your Bible, and, and I'm not sure if you've ever thought about if, what, what, what you would expect to find in the first pages of Scripture. If this is God's revelation for humankind, if, if there is a God and he has spoken to humanity, where do you think his message would begin? Where in the story of what's important do you think it would be helpful or necessary to begin? Well, according to God, he seems it helpful and fruitful to begin quite literally at the beginning. And scripture informs us in this passage that before there was anything, before anything existed, God was there. So if you somehow found a hidden page on Amazon.com or, or, or found a, a hidden website that Google takes you to and, and you, you unlock plans to create a time machine and you j jump into the time machine and then you just start going backward, just traveling backwards endlessly, you actually couldn't travel back in time endlessly. You would eventually reach a point where time itself began. And, and at that moment of time, that would be called the beginning, you would find God there. And if somehow you'd be allowed to, to kind of step into this moment before the moment that time began, God would be the only uh, person that would exist in that moment. And this is what, what scripture introduces us in this passage, that there was a moment called the beginning. And at that moment, all of time and space, material reality as we know and as we are finding out and discovering, came to be. And through this, the first chapters of Genesis teach us two basic things. When you read the Bible, when you begin in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, these first verses, again, this is what God has revealed. This is where the author of life and the author of the Bible seeks to begin the story of himself to humanity. He begins here because he wants to inform us of two fundamentally critical things that we need to understand and believe in. Number one, God is the author of creation. And number two, God has determined purposes and patterns for his creation. So everything you see, everything you hear, everything you smell, everything you taste, everything you feel, everything we discover through science, everything that's out there, everything that we might never discover exists by direct creation power from God. He made it all. And, and he didn't just make it aimlessly or purposeless. There was design built in to, to different elements of creation. Now, the creation story that you have in the Bible isn't exhaustive. It doesn't tell you, for example, what the point of creating cockroaches was. Like, why did God do that, right? He did so. There's purpose behind these things. But these two chapters, Moses, the author of the, the book of Genesis, wants to feature certain design elements in this creation story. Pastor Tim Keller gives us very helpful insight into what the Bible is trying to communicate in these chapters when he writes, The creation narrative in the book of Genesis is unique among the ancient accounts of origins. Many cultures had stories that depicted the beginning of the world in human history as a result of a struggle between warring cosmic forces. In the Babylonian creation story Enuma Elish, the god Marduk overcomes the goddess Tiamat and forges the world out of her remains. And by the way, 
That's the PG version of what actually happened. If you're interested and want to geek out on this, meet me outside after church and I'll give you the book of this story. And it's pretty gruesome and gross. But thank you, uh, Pastor Tim, for making this PG. But in this and similar accounts, the visible universe was an uneasy balance of powers in tension with one another. In the Bible, however, creation is not the result of a conflict, for God has no rivals. Creation is not the aftermath of a battle, but the plan of a craftsman. God made the world as a warrior digs a trench, not as a warrior digs a trench, rather, but as an artist makes a masterpiece. So this is critical for us to understand at the beginning of this sermon and really throughout life. That God has made certain things to serve certain functions and to, and to be expressed in certain ways. And as you read through Genesis chapter 1, you'll, you'll discover God's majestic handiwork at display. Like a skilled painter, everything that, that is described in Genesis chapter 1, you see that it has purpose, it has style, it has beauty and majesty in it. On day one, for example, God begins by creating light. Why would it begin there? I think the reason for that is God, God is giving the rest of creation what they would need to see his handiwork. On days two through four, God forms spaces of life. Spaces of life. Areas where life will live and inhabit. So days two through four, God, God creates the skies. He creates the seas. He creates the land. And on days five through six, God creates living creatures to inhabit those spaces of life he has created. So you, you see this pattern early on that God forms and God fills. God forms creation and fills the creation he has formed. But as the story goes on in verse 26, something unique happens on day six. Something very unique. And, and Moses is going to begin to really focus our attention on verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. We read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. And over all the earth and over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. So Genesis 1 begins with the idea that God forms and God fills. And then God intends to take what he's formed and filled and entrust it to a unique segment, a, a, a unique part of his creation that we know as mankind. So you can imagine this staff meeting in heaven where God is united, the Trinity speaking among himself. And they're saying, well, okay, day one, check, day two, check, day three, check, day four, check, day five, check, day six, check. Okay, what's the next part of this process? Well, now we're going to create man in our image. And he's going to have the unique responsibility and the unique call to do something with the creation I have made. They are going to do something that no other element in creation can or must do. They will exercise dominion over creation like I have exercised dominion over creation. This is where we're going. In verse 27 in chapter 1, we read a short account of man and woman being created in, in the image of God. And then verse 28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. Now, I hope you're, you're, you're tracking with me here. God creates the physical world. He forms it and he fills it with non-living things and with living things. And the last stage, the last element, the last part, the last component of God's creation is mankind, is humanity. God creates a human. In the Hebrew, the word is Adam. That sounds oddly familiar to the word Adam. That's where he gets his name. And God entrusts Adam to rule over creation. But, but he does one more thing. See, God doesn't just give Adam creation to rule over. God lays on certain expectations and certain patterns for how Adam is going to interact with creation. God expects Adam to emulate him in the process of forming creation and filling creation. Just as God formed and filled creation, man is expected to follow suit. And you see this in some of the key words that are used here in this creation account. So go back to verses 26 and 28, for example. Twice in those passages, God, God, God references that Adam is going to have dominion. God is going to, uh, mankind is going to exercise authority, have dominion over the created order. Now, if you read those passages carefully, you'll notice what's excluded. Nothing is excluded. He's to have life over all the creeping things, all the birds, all the uh, uh, fish, and all the earth. He is to exercise authority. In forming creation, mankind is entrusted, empowered, and expected to rule, reign, manage, shape, mold, and interact with creation in a unique way. Now, what this means, what this means is that creation itself is available to man to be formed by man. And that man is expected to continue the work God began. So again, in the same way God shaped the world by taking something that was void, he gave it shape. Man is put in a garden that's not developed, that's void, and he is being asked to shape it, to exercise a certain dominion over something in the same way that God exercised dominion over creation. We find more key words in verse 28, this idea of being fruitful. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In filling creation, mankind is commissioned to take ownership of the world by inhabiting all of it. Now, Scripture is pretty clear about who owns everything. Psalm 24 tells us that the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So there is not a molecule on, in all the universe, certainly on the planet, that, that doesn't have you know, a trademark on the back of it that says property of God, you know, made in God. It, it, everything has that stamp on it. But God extends an invitation to mankind to fill the earth to inhabit it, to make what he has made their own by multiplying, to take residence in this creation. But there's one more unique word that's used. It's one very interesting word based on the context, based on where we are in biblical revelation. 
And you find this word in verse 28. God tells him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he tells him to do this. And subdue it. Now, pause with me for a second. Where are we in the creation story? Sin hasn't shown its ugly face. So in some sense, this is the idyllic version of humanity. Sin hasn't corrupted. You could use the word perfection if you'd like to describe our setting. And in this setting, God expects humankind to subdue that which he has called good. God has labeled every element of creation good. He finishes labeling every element of creation very good. And then he looks to man and he says, now you engage with what I've created that is very good, that is not tainted by sin yet, and you must subdue this. So question for you. If God has made everything good, and this is before sin... Why would the earth need to be subdued? There's no sign of anything rebellious at this point. There's no sign of anything in the biblical account that would lead us to believe that that there is, you know, an enemy, a hostile force, an invader. We've read one chapter, and in that chapter, we encounter a good God with a good plan, a mission to mankind that involves subduing that which is good. So what is going on here? Well, what's going on here is that in the same way that God installed ongoing patterns and expectations in creation, in in the same way that God made creation to observe certain patterns and and, 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 uh, expectations that he set on creation, for example, darkness will always give way to light, Life will fill and inhabit certain spaces. The seas will be filled with fish. The earth will be filled with land animals. The sky will be filled with birds. The moon and the sun will always serve as markers of the seasons. You know what a 24-hour day because God has, has made the world revolve around itself. There are certain ingrained patterns in the fabric of creation that God has built into creation. So in that same way... That patterns are built into every element of creation. A unique pattern from the beginning of creation is built into the very essence of what it means to be a human being. Humanity is expected to exercise dominion over the earth and to subdue it. This is a pattern that the creator put forth in his creation. That mankind will interact with creation in certain ways. This is God's intention for humanity. For you and me to be the co-regents, the co-rulers, the co-kings, if you will, of this world. To continue the work he began. To, To use what he's given us, where he's placed us, for his glory and his purposes. Now, next week, you're going to hear how sin messes with all this, how sin complicates this process, how sin comes in and it infects how man will interact with creation. But what sin does not do, it does not remove that pattern that God installed. Sin came into the world and the world still observes seasons. Sin came into the world and fish still swim in the ocean. Birds still fly in the air. Land animals still live in the land. None of that's changed. 
This pattern ingrained in humanity does not change either. Last night, as I was reading a story to my kids before bed, um, I, I love these moments because they, they're just spontaneous. I think I was brushing my son's teeth and, and I walked into our bedroom and the kids are jumping off the wall. And, and just, I mean, just like that, they start asking me questions about heaven. And uh, if you've ever had a conversation with kids about heaven, th their questions are really interesting. And they asked me about six or seven questions about heaven. Hey, if I die really, really old, am I going to look really, really old? If I die young, am I going to look young? All these types of fun questions. And then one of my kids asked a really interesting question. She kind of said, Dad, if God is going to make all things new, if Jesus is going to return and make all things new, then what's the point of like going to work? <laughs> yeah. What's the, she, she gets that gene from me probably. Um, what's the point of it all, right? I mean, that's what she's asking. If God's going to make everything new, then why, why not just kind of speed up the process or, you know, you really have to be that disciplined about the way we do life and, and you know, categories of, of work and calling and vocation. I mean, you know, why, why, why do people pursue careers? Why do you have a job? Why did you go to school? Why did you, why did you spend all your life in this thing? If at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. That's what she's asking. And I looked at her and I had a big grin in my face. I said, sweetie pie, I'm preaching about that tomorrow. That's exactly what I'm preaching on tomorrow. Why does it matter that you go to work? Why does it matter that you have a vocation? Why does it matter that you exercise your gifts where you are in this world? It matters because that's God's pattern for humankind. God is honored and glorified when human beings interact with creation, how he designed them to interact with. So what wisdom and kids asking questions, huh? In other words, it matters because God wants us to subdue the earth. That's why it matters. And the series, the series is called The Great Pause. The Great Pause. We're featuring moments in scripture where, where events seem to slow down and, and a particular focus comes on something that is to come. So the, the, these moments and stories where, where a pause shows up and it precedes a great work or a great lesson from God to us. And so we're about to jump into that moment here where we've been given the Genesis account in chapter one, but then Moses, the author of Genesis is going to, he's going to do something. He's going to bring extra focus on the creation of mankind. And so in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 is exactly this. Where Moses zooms in to day 6, and now he's going to unpack more about who humanity is and who you are as a result of that. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 says, listen to this. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. When no bush was in the field. When, 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 do, do, do you feel the pause there? Yet. Yet. When, when this is a, but yet. When this hadn't, but, but yet. There, there's something is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Keep reading. For the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. 
And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. God has plans for his creations. God has plans specifically for this garden of Eden. And it's interesting that God's purposes include mankind, and those purposes are glorious, but they're actually very simple as well. God's purposes for mankind is that mankind would reign by gardening. God's purposes for mankind was that they would reign over the earth by gardening. Glory and simplicity. Now look at verse 6 again. And I want to be very careful how I say this, but notice how God is waiting for man to work the ground. Notice how God is waiting for man to work the ground, for his purposes to continue. Vegetation had not yet sprouted because God had not caused the terrain, the verse says, and because God, God was waiting for mankind to do something. God, mankind was not there ready to till the ground. Now, this is not teaching us that God depends on mankind in any way. But it does teach us that God intends to do things through mankind. In his sovereign mind, God has ordained things in such a way that his perfect plan flows through each one of our lives. While God's plan flows through mankind, however, man is not sovereign. And Adam is going to be introduced to boundaries set by God. And limitations designed by God. You see those boundaries in Genesis chapter 2. That man does not have free will to do whatever he wants with, man, to, with uh, creation. You can eat of everything except this. There's a boundary. Your garden is here. It's not over there. You're going to do this in the garden and not over there. Adam can't light the garden on fire. He has to work it. So there are boundaries in our design. There's also limitations. It's interesting to me, one of the features of Genesis chapter 2, and one of the things I tend to emphasize when I speak to couples uh, in this passage is, the way this is presented to us, God places certain expectations on Adam. Adam, this is what I need you to do. This is what I expect you to do. And then Adam's limitations show up. Adam doesn't discover those limitations. God God imposes those limitations on Adam. It is not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I will make a helper suitable for him. So in a sense, Adam cannot fulfill his mission without his partner. I find that interesting as well. Now, let's, let's take everything we've talked about and let's connect it to everyday life. Let's see what this would inform us in terms of how we are to live and what lessons we can learn. Two broad lessons. There's a whole lot more. There is so much in Genesis chapter 1 through 2. Oh my goodness, there's just so much. But two basic lessons. The first one is we were created to need God. You were designed as a human being in certain ways. Things you can't outrun, things you can't escape. Th th things you can't advance from or graduate from. 
You can't get better at the idea of needing God. That doesn't ever go away because we were designed to need God. We were created by the creator to need him. And his wonderful essay entitled The Absurdity of Life Without God, Christian philosopher William Lane Craig says, If God does not exist, then both man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. Man, like all biological organisms, must die. With no hope of immortality, man's life leads only to the grave. His life is but a spark in the infinite blackness, a spark that appears, flickers, and dies forever. Therefore, everyone must come face to face with what theologian Paul Tillich has called the threat of non-being. For though I know now that I exist, that I am alive... I also know that someday I will no longer exist, that I will no longer be, that I will die. This thought is staggering and threatening to think that the person I call myself will cease to exist, that I will be no more. What Dr. Craig is getting at here is that without God, if you remove God, life ultimately has no meaning and you're stuck in situations like this. If all that exists is the material world, the stuff we can see, then there is no good reason for human beings to believe in such things that are immaterial, like meaning, purpose, morality, values, or beauty. If, if, you're, if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe you came this morning and uh, maybe by force, maybe a family member dragged you into the church and you haven't darkened our doors in a while, welcome. We're glad you're here. It's a joy to have you. I'd love to get to know you after, after the service is over. But I would encourage you to read this essay by Dr. Craig. It is a fascinating engagement with what are the consequences of life without God? If, if God would not exist, what are we left with? And, and this is what this article um, uncovers. But the, the point that Dr. Craig is making is that life without God is absurd. When you, you, when you remove the objective references to those things that are of ultimate importance, all you're left with is absurdity. The point I want to make is that as a believer, to live in such a way where there is no apparent need for God, that is absurd. For you and me as Christians, as followers of Christ, those who believe that there is a God who has made everything, for us to believe, walk into 2022 in such a way where our lives cry out that eh, there's really no need for God. Oh, church members, oh, friends and family, that is absurdity. And it's worse it's dangerous. In the garden, God creates Adam and Eve and sets them to work and keep the garden. Now listen to this. To subdue it. To have dominion over all creation. But there's something striking in this narrative. There's something that's left out of this narrative. I find this really, really interesting. Have you noticed that God doesn't actually tell them how to do it. Do you find any details about how to have dominion over animals? I mean, how does that work? You know, you just walk up to a random lion in the Serengeti and say, obey me. That's not going to go well for you. Don't do that. How do you subdue a mountain? Like, how does that work? God lays expectations on Adam and Eve, and he doesn't give them an instruction manual. 
There's no invitation to some weekend workshop on how to get better at dominion over the earth, you know. There's no YouTube channel in heaven where angels are kind of giving, you know, Adam and Eve tips on, on how to be better at, at, at this. Built into the pattern of creation is the fact that Adam and Eve need God and will continue to need God. Humanity, let, let me put it to the... Let me put it to you this way, and this is going to be very provocative, and it's on purpose because I want to get your attention on this. Humanity is created to be codependent on God. Now, that's a dirty word. That's a, that, that word means bad things. Co codependency is ex excessive reliance on someone else. It, it's a, it turns into this psychological problem that hurts a lot of people, and a lot of people get hurt by it. And so when it comes to peer-to-peer -peer relationships, when it comes to humanity, codependency is a no-no. But when it comes to God, it is impossible for codependency on God to be a bad thing. You can never have enough of God in your life. There will never be a moment for a human being that he looks at God and says, I think I got what it takes. I think I have enough of you. All right, I'll maybe see you in 10 years. I may be short, maybe running out of what, what that'll never happen. God designed you and me to need him, not sometimes, not most of the time, but all the time. He's designed us to need him. And by the way, this flies in the face of our culture's obsession with independence and self-autonomy. We live in a society that tells us that we are the authors of our own script, the writers of our own destiny. The, the, the purveyors of our own meaning and purpose and vision and fulfillment and, and, and the, the developers of our self-actualization. And we can find all this thing, these things if we look into ourselves. You do you, man. You do you. Like, like more power. You do you. Yeah. The doctrine of creation frees us from the bondage of ourselves. This is one of the key lessons in this chapter. This is where I'm inviting you to pause wherever you have been 20-something days into, 20, into 2022. Where are you in this reality? Where are you in this setting when it comes to recognizing who God is for you and how you need him? Have you started this year and you still not engaged with your neediness as it comes to God? Have you paused to reflect or are you living such a fast-paced life that you seem to have no need for God? And listen, the last two years have emphasized this, right? That, that they've emphasized one stark reality. That human independence is a dangerous delusion. The last two years have emphasized the stark reality that human independence is a dangerous delusion. You are not independent. You cannot be independent. We all learned the painful lessons since 2020. That we really have no control over our safety and over our ability to provide for ourselves. I pass around, but I go to work. Yeah, you go to work. That's great. But you see, this, this little microscopic organism showed up on the scene early 2020. Where it came from, I don't know. But it's out there. And it did something unique to the planet, right? It pushed pause on everything. Everything. 
Click, click, pause. Commerce, entertainment, education, everything. Pause. Do I have to remind you guys? We couldn't even find toilet paper early on in this mess. I still haven't figured that one out. Just this morning on my Twitter feed, uh, Bloomberg News had uh, bare shelves again. Your, your, your salary, your check, your, your, your you know, savings account is worth a hill of beans if there's no food to go by. So we delude ourselves by thinking that we independently can provide for ourselves. The safety thing is also a bit. You know, the entire planet has endeavored in finding a cure for this thing called COVID. Billions and billions of dollars. Governments around the world have done something in no other time in human history. They've cooperated with one another. They've agreed. This is the strangest thing, right? To see governments of all over the world agreeing on one thing. And um, is COVID still around? We also learned... We also learn that we may not like ourselves as much as we think we do. We also learn that being alone is not good for us. It's interesting that things like anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicide. In a season that featured solitude, rest, ease, and entertainment... I read a crazy stat about how many, uh, how, how um, you know, uh, things like Netflix keep track of how many people watch their shows and how many hours of streaming footage has been. It's, it's crazy how their numbers just shot up during 2020. So we went through two years almost of more entertainment than ever, less work than ever. And at the same time, we were more anxious, hurting ourselves more and hating life the most. Now, I want to be clear about something here. This doesn't mean that God created us dependent on him because he's some like weird sadistic tyrant or some cruel dictator who wants to boss around weak creatures around. That's not the God you're encountering in this passage. God creates us dependent on him because he wants us to flourish And humanity flourishes when they come to realize their dependency on God. The Apostle Paul says it this way to the letter of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, that's every Christian, might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Who for their sake died and was raised. Choosing to no longer live for yourself. Choosing to live in a life that's dependent on God. Who died for you and was raised is not a letdown. It's not a letdown. This isn't admitting failure. This is an invitation to the greatest journey and experience of pleasure and delight that you will ever be a part of. And if you're a Christian in the room, can I get an amen? Amen. 
It's also a very practical application to realize we were created to need God. I find this interesting that even in the perfect setting of Eden, even in the perfect setting of Eden, humanity is under attack. Genesis chapter 3 includes the encounter of a snake, the devil, coming in. 1 Peter chapter 5 reinforces that idea that that dude that was out there way back is out to get us as well. He hasn't gone away. He's still part of the story. We'll, we'll unpack that next week. But, but, but it's important for us in this point to, to recognize that God has installed boundaries and limitations in all of us to reinforce our need for him. So as you look at 2022... How are you walking into 2022? Do you recognize that God has created boundaries for human existence? That there are boundaries that he would want you to observe in your life. Listen, not every human experience is good. Not every form of subduing the earth is acceptable. There are boundaries that lead to flourishing. Earth should be subdued, and ways to subdue the earth should be pursued, but some of them lead to death. Some of them lead to pain. Some of them lead to destruction. So are you aware of what those boundaries are? Did you aware that category existed? That while God would look at Adam and Eve and say, subdue the earth, that there are boundaries that subduing the earth has to answer to. We've covered this already, but the idea of limitations. When I was a kid, I was told I could be, be all that I could be. Just dream it. Follow your dreams, man. No. Don't do that. Because you might have some pretty foolish dreams. You're also limited. I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was a kid. I'm okay, but I'm, it's not going to happen. If you're five foot two, you're not making it to the NBA. If you haven't read a book all year, you're probably not going to get a PhD. This is helpful. This is helpful. God thought it to be helpful. And God provided help in that process. God gives Adam a task. There are limitations built into Adam. So what does God do? He doesn't make fun of Adam like I, maybe I was doing just now. He didn't do that. God provides in face of limitations. God extends mercy and grace to those he's called to do something. So as you venture into 2022, what has God called you to do? What are the things that God is asking you to walk into, to lead into, to work into? Where has God asked you to subdue the earth? You're quickly going to discover what your limitations are. And that's the point. That's the point. So when you discover your limitations, you're meant to do something with that. You're meant to go to God because you need him. Second great lesson that we receive is we were created for glorious purposes. 
You and I were created for glorious purposes. Accomplished through ordinary means. It's interesting. If you, if you look at what Adam is entrusted to do. If you read that passage and you analyze and you deconstruct. What is Adam asked to do? Here is the first man on the planet. Humanity, the jewel of creation. The great image bearer that represents God and his glory. What important task shall he be given? He's asked to work with his hands. To to till the soil. He's asked to work with his mind. God brings all the animals to Adam and Adam names all of them. And he's asked to work with his heart. He's given a wife. And that's it. So to God, those categories are a big deal. So what are your hands doing? How have you been using your hands? What about your mind? How have you been using your mind? What about your heart? How are you working these things for the purposes of God? There's a lesson about humility here, right? Adam has no degrees on the wall. He's got no corner office on the top floor of a tall building downtown. He has no awards to a name. He has a simple calling. Use your hands to develop creation. Your mind to harness its potential and your heart to love your wife. And that the Lord called very good. That is very good. So I want to ask you a question. How different are you today than Adam was in the garden? How different is your life today than Adam's was in the garden? Adam wasn't asked to go conquer the entire nation. He wasn't the entire world. He wasn't asked to go hunt for dinosaurs. He wasn't asked to develop NASA. He was asked to work the ground where he was, to be creative with his mind, and to love his wife. You're more like Adam than you think you are. And so if you are, which I think you are, because you're a human being, right? Is everyone here a human being? Some of us, it's questionable. And I would dare to impress this idea on you, but maybe you're called to extend the same response. You're called to show the same faithfulness in the same categories that Adam was. There's also a lesson about greatness, about our perception of what greatness is. This notion of, you know, dreams to change the world, dreams to be great, dreams to pursue greatness. Friend, the Bible doesn't call you to be great. The Bible calls you to be faithful. The Bible calls you to God. And don't underestimate. Do not underestimate God's ability to do something amazing through something ordinary. Listen, God's plan to fill the earth and creation with his glory. God's plan to fill The cosmos with his glory to extend his perfect glory throughout all creation hinged on Adam gardening. That was the plan. Nick, thank you, brother. 
There's a lesson about greatness. There's a lesson about vocation and life and the things that we do and not being humiliated by being humble. Don't underestimate how God could use you. Do not underestimate your station in life. Do not think that because you're poor, because you're poorly educated, because you have no influence, because there's things other people do better than you, that those are limitations. That God somehow needs you to have degrees and money and influence and fame and talents and power. God needs absolutely nothing from you to accomplish his purpose. Yet, yet, he invites you to be used. And the one thing that he requires is for you to be faithful. Tim Keller writes this wonderful paragraph to kind of make all this crystallize in his book, Every Good Endeavor. If, if, if you want a really good theology of work and vocation and how, how humble, simple work is meaningful and glorious to God, buy this book and read it. It's great. He writes, if we are able to be God's image bearers with regard to creation, then we will carry on his pattern of work. His world is not hostile so that it needs to be beaten down like an enemy. Rather, its potential is undeveloped. So it needs to be cultivated like a garden. So we are not to relate to the world as park rangers, whose job is not to change their space, but to preserve things as they are. Nor are we to... Nor are we to pave over the garden of the created world to make a parking lot. No, we are to be gardeners who take an active stance toward their charge. They do not leave the land as it is. They rearrange it in order to make it most fruitful. To draw the potentialities from growth and development out of the soil. That is the pattern for all work. Rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Keith, you can come up, dude. Keith and worship team. I remember the first time I took my kids to an indoor trampoline park. And um, they entered this Facility, And there, if you've never been to one of these places, just imagine a room three, four times the size of this one. And every surface on the ground is a trampoline. Um, and I remember bringing my kids there and just at first, like they were hesitant. You know, they're, they're rubbing their eyes like, is this real? <laughs> what is going on? This place is awesome. And then they would look at me like, dad, can I? And I'd be like, yeah, go, 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 go. You know, enhance, develop, explore, enjoy. God placed Adam in a setting much like that. God has placed you and me in this world just like that as well. We, we, we are meant to go make something of this. Go have fun. Go enjoy. Go experience. Go enhance. Go build. Go be fruitful. Go make sure that the world thrives and that people thrive as well. This honors the Lord. This was his design. And, and don't, don't lose track of this idea that, listen, God placed Adam in a specific setting. God did not call Adam to do what Moses did. He did not call Adam to do what Ezekiel did. 
He did not call Adam to do what the Apostle Paul did. God put Adam where he wanted Adam because through Adam he wanted something done specifically. He had, there was a specific setting that God entrusted Adam's life to respond to. God will accomplish his purposes for your life and give purpose to your life where you are today. Today. That job you're going to tomorrow, that's your garden. That family you're going to this afternoon after lunch, that's your garden. Those relationships that you have, that's your garden. Develop those. Enhance those. Lead to thriving and fruition. Develop creation where you are. So the question then is, what gifts do I have? What is my setting? Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do for the glory of God. Has anyone ever told you that you, being, you bring glory to God by doing what you do for the glory of God? You bring glory to God by doing what you do for the glory of God. Whether you're a plumber, a preacher, a therapist, a judge, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, a single person, a student, a police officer, a president, whether you're famous, whether you're unknown, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you bring glory to God by doing what God has asked you to do where you are for his glory. Let me ask you guys to stand with me. And as I was preparing this week, the, the Lord impressed two categories of people that I wanted to pray for this morning. First to young people, if you're in that senior high school age, going into college, maybe it's your first semester in college, and, and you're, you're facing life with that great question of what's out there for me? I want to make something of myself. I, I want to pursue greatness. I want to do something meaningful. And the pressure that that brings on you as a young person. I felt the Lord lead me to write this to you. Don't be confused. Meaning in life isn't obtained by the job you have or will get. Or the school you go to or will go to. The second category is to... Maybe not so young people. I'm thinking folks in north of 60. Maybe you feel like you've lost direction in life. Maybe you look at your rearview mirror and there's more life behind you than you think there's available in front of you. And what you see in that rearview mirror. The word failure just shows up. And let's face it, you're, you're thinking, I've got maybe 10 more years to live. I've lived 60, 65 years of life. I can't undo all that. 
I'm, I'm an, I didn't accomplish anything with what the Lord gave me. I feel like you've lost direction. I think the Lord would want to tell you that you're not a loser. You haven't wasted your life. And if you're still alive, which that includes everyone, you can still harness creation for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we desire to know you. We desire your presence in our lives. We desire, Lord, to be awakened to your purposes. We desire, O Lord, to be led to give you glory. Father, we desire to take our lives where they are now, Father, and to release them, Lord, to your plans. Father, you've made us a certain way. There are patterns that you've ingrained in our very beings, Father. Would you unleash them for your purposes? Father, would you speak words of encouragement to those who feel stuck? Words of assurance to those who feel condemned? Words of love to those who feel hated? Words of peace, Lord, to those who are troubled. And words of power, Lord, for all of us, that we would answer your call to subdue the earth for your glory and for your purposes. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. If you guys need prayer, please go ahead and come up. The prayer team's going to come up and be on the front. If you need something to be prayed for, please come join them. Wonderful seeing you guys. Got a mic. Uh, can I do, do something that I, I don't do often enough? And again, if you guys are coming for prayer, please do that. Um, you guys wouldn't know, you wouldn't know behind the scenes, some of the guys who are in these pulpits, they have, they have had a conversation with me and received a weird assignment that they go, what exactly are you asking me to preach on? And then we have conversations over the next couple of weeks. Peter and I have had many of these through the years. What exactly are you thinking I'm going to preach on? Um, so Ronald and I had that conversation about this message. I just, Ronald, I just want to say publicly, I want to thank you publicly. Uh, I wanted to preach this message. I could not have preached this message as well as you preached this message. Uh, you, you served us so well. I don't know if I've heard too many better messages preached on the creation purpose of God pre-fall. I don't think I've heard too many better messages than that one. So, bro, thank you for your prayer and your preparation and for helping all of us. We are deeply indebted to you. Thank you. Thank you.